welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the future and science fiction and the greats <laughs> of the last 40 years of science fiction authors. My name is Thomas Magby. I am joined as always by Mr. A.J. Hannenberg Woo! and Mr. Graham Donaldson. Woo! Now, today we are talking about a uh, little known fact. I, I sometimes talk about getting my degree in psychology. I actually got my degree in psychohistory. That's a, a little known fact. <laughs> and so it's this, it's this fascinating... It's what's coming next, Maggie. It is what's coming next. Now, unfortunately, it's a lot of symbols, as I remember, uh, but we can also predict... 500,000 years in the future. We can. I forget what the numbers Pinpoint are. Pinpoint accuracy. Yeah, so, man, yeah, I guess we'll get into this. Psychohistory yep. sounds like the autobiography of the Joker. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly right. Or like that girl you knew in college. <laughs> we got a lot of psycho <laughs> history. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that's just what you entitled you we were dating psycho, time? We got psycho Ooh, that's just psycho history. That's what that is. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, well, I think we're going through the foundation. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about one. Isaac Asimov's yeah. foundation trilogy. We're probably not going to talk about the third book because I don't want to give spoilers for Hannenberg, who's still reading it. And Megby, you get you said that the first book was not your cup of tea. It's not my cup of tea. And I, I feel like be, I will not be reading the second our, or third book. Our podcast is maybe getting a little long in the tooth because all our books are like, I read this book, woof, I hated it. <laughs> no, I did not hate the Foundation trilogy. I did. Um, Tell but, me I'm wrong. But uh, why are we reading this? So I am not a big science fiction reader. I never grew up reading science fiction. The most science fiction I ever read were really bad Star Wars X-wing books. Oh. Uh, that's pretty much all I read. Did you read Dune? I read Dune maybe as a in college, and I was like, I like this, but yeah. it didn't like make me want to go devour the rest of the genre. Fair enough. I read The Moon Is a Harsh Mistress, which was kind of a cool book. That's kind of fun. Where like an AI computer takes over the moon or something, and they they bomb people by just launching yeah, rocks off the moon. Yeah, they launch moon rocks at Earth. Yep, it's kind of awesome. Did you read like uh, Ray Bradbury or anything like Illustrated Man? Or, no, uh, I read Fahrenheit Super good. Fahrenheit four five one because we uh-huh. had to read it. In I just feel like, like I think you'd like his short stories. A Maybe. Lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I read um, Here There Be Dragons. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, okay, I've read some. Yeah. But there's like the Three Body Problem, which is oh, like the the book one. these yeah. days in science. I don't know if it's the book these days. It's the one that I've heard about that everyone tells me I should read, and I've read it anyway. But I thought I should go back and read some classic science fiction. So Isaac Asimov's Foundation trilogy, which is cited as being like a. Um, Star Wars precursor that maybe George Lucas really liked. and um, But anyway, the reason I, it was on my radar is because Apple TV had the <laughs> television yeah, right. show, yeah. and I watched the pilot episode, and hot dang, it was a, like... Is it bad? It was like, it was like you know when you, when you make soup and you're really excited for, like, a bo- steaming bowl of hot soup, and it's supposed to be really comforting, and you... And the first turns bite, out it's, poop. it's cold. It turns out, <laughs> turns out it's... Steaming bowl of hot poop. Uh, no, it's just like it was cold. I don't know. The book, uh, the, the episode I watched, I was like, they don't know what they're doing. This is all over the place. And it turns out that they're being true to the source material. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Like, that's literally all the characters, right? So the Foundation trilogy is, we'll tell it, we'll set up the world in a second, but it's not a story with, a, with like main characters that you follow because every kind of chapter or every little book or vignette jumps ahead like three to 500 years in the future. Um, So you don't really get to learn to love these characters. They're sort of these sort of placeholders for this world of ideas or this sort of this one idea that, that Isaac Asimov is writing about. Okay. So here's the, here's the, the, the story. 
in many, I don't know, like in the future. <laughs> in space. Yeah. Isn't this supposed to be way in the past too, just like Star Wars? I don't think so. In a no, 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 no. This is no, you're right. It is the future. Because right. they talk about like, we don't know where humans came from. And right. I'm like, I do. Um, <laughs> but anyway, in the future, humanity is many trillions of people on many, many thousands of worlds. And there is this, and it's all united under this one empire called the Galactic Empire. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah. They're really reaching for that name. Yeah. yeah. And there's. But this, I guess the Roman Empire wasn't exactly the most creative exactly. thing ever either. Well, okay. So they set this up this way. So Isaac Asimov <laughs> loved. So negative. I think you like this book, and I think you like this book. Yeah, right? yeah it's okay, good. It's okay, good. Okay, Isaac Asimov loved the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Yeah. The, the Gibbons book about the Rome. the Roman Empire. It's aptly titled. Yes, yes. and he wanted about. to think about what would that. Could you do that um, sort of story, setting it in future? Uh, he wanted to sort of do the decline and fall of the Roman Empire in space. All right, <laughs> I won't make that joke the whole podcast. Um, and so then what he did was he set up this galactic empire, and they all the, – there's, there's an emperor, and he's sort of this, like, god man, and there is one world – that is this giant bureaucratic machine that its only function in the world, in the universe, is to be the bureaucratic machine for the empire. And um, the empire people who have, like, never seen the sky. That's right, right, because they live underground and they've never seen the sky. And this empire is trucking along smoothly and everything is working perfectly. And, you've, you know, there's rule of law and there's trade and, and you know, the world's working the way it should be. And there's this man named Harry Seldon who is a mathematician, and he oh, is... Oh, uh, please. A psycho psychohistorian. He's a psychohistorian. I apologize. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he invented this thing <laughs> called psychohistory, yes. where, correct me if I'm wrong, he gets all of... He's got, like, this algorithm or this formula where he can get all of the data points of the universe, and he can use it to predict generally what's going to happen in the future. So he can't predict, AJ, what you're going to eat for breakfast. But he can predict when the galactic empire is going to crumble. Yes. Because, um, because human beings on aggregate are predictable, mm-hmm. but each individual human person isn't, I guess. It's the future of uh, uh, chaos. Yes. So you know, chaotic, um, if you, uh, chaotic things, you can't predict the individuals, but you get normal distributions or some kind of uh, function whenever you have lots of thing, individual events. That's happen. right. Like, so you can do a chemical reaction and know what's going to happen, but if you go down below the level of the atom, it's going to be chaotic random movement of quarks and whatnot, right? That yeah. kind of idea. There's random movement. The lower you go, there's predictable movement. The higher you go, and if you get to the highest level of society that you can, everybody in space, you can make these pretty accurate predictions of the future. So this is what Harry Seldon um, has implemented and he now can do it. And this is what was very hilariously depicted in the television show with this like glowing cube. And you like push a button and the cube kind of expands and there's got these like glowing math formulas and only the nerds can read it and know what's going on. So isn't that like in book three? That's like the, that's like book one. That's in the book. It's in the book. It's got a glowing nerd cube. They have a glowing nerd cube. It's in the second foundation. Sure. I don't know if it's in the, oh, mm, that's a little different. Second foundation. No, but they, there's a glowing cube. They press the button and goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. puts them all up in the, the wall. first yeah. one, I thought he was like projecting all these different Maybe symbols. Maybe he was. Yeah, I know you're right. I don't know if it was a cube though. I don't no. remember that part. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. So it's like visually represented. There's a cube. Apple is perfect. We can all, sorry, Apple. We have to be 
clear. Uh, we're just taking off iTunes like that. that. Yeah. Um, so that's what it's going to explicit. He there's like this math competition, and somebody wins this math competition and comes to the Galactic Empire to work under Harry Seldon. But in reality, like on day one, Harry Seldon's like, "Hey, buddy, guess what? The Galactic Empire is about to fail. It's about to crumble. It's going to be destroyed, and we're going to save it." No, we're not going to save it. Harry Seldon says there's two paths open to humanity, 30,000 years of barbarism, or we can preserve all of humanity's learning and technology and science called physics Mm. in the book. We can can keep everything together and we can shave that 30,000 years of barbarism into 1,000 years of uncertainty and then the rise of a new galactic empire that will sort of be better than the other one. Those are the two options forward. Not a popular option. Not a popular, um, you know. Isn't he arrested? Thing. For so he's arrested. So he says it, and he says it to the emperor, and the emperor is like, "That's heresy. I don't want to hear this." He's arrested. He's put on trial, um, and then he's banished to a backward planet called it's Terminus. Terminus. Yeah. It's yes, which is you know at the end of the line. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he's he's banished to a backward planet called Terminus, and Harry Selden says, "Just as I predicted." Um, which he says a lot. Yeah. Everything is going according yeah, to exactly. plan. And then he's like, he's like, I knew this was going to happen. I've already established the foundation uh, on Terminus. Uh, the foundation on Terminus has a mission and they are to, well, the, the mission that's stated is that they are to create a giant Wikipedia article about humanity. That's essentially what it's like. Yeah, yeah. we're way ahead of the game yeah, with we're actual at, yeah. Wikipedia. Honestly, though. No. So they're to make the Encyclopedia Universica, I think it's called, Galactica. something like that. Galactica, whatever. Um, they're making this. <laughs> no, but Wait, this is high quality called. content. <laughs> uh, you, you came here to learn about the stuff that we know. That's <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. That's whatever. No, that's. Oh, how the- many episodes is Ulysses? Honestly. Oh, nine. No, no, it's actually 18. 18, yeah, exactly. Ballpark. These are, these are, you know. <laughs> all right. So they're making this big, this oh big, uh, this big Wikipedia article about humanity on foundation. But then there's a rumor that there is a second foundation on the opposite end of the galaxy. And this is floated in book one. And then this is going to be what book three, what the third book's about called the second foundation. Hmm. Yeah, okay. the, t- the titles are wildly uninteresting. Yes. If you're looking at it, it's like Foundation. Foundation and Empire. Yeah, like and a, Second yeah. Foundation. It's like a makeup tutorial. It's very confusing if you read Foundation and then Second Foundation. You have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's also because the, the three books that are the original trilogy are actually books two, three, and four, if you go and look it up right now. Oh, are there? Yeah, there's an old, there's like a... There's a one written so like a 40 years later oh, called Prelude like to Foundation, which is not the original. So oh. it's Foundation is the second book. Gotcha. Foundation and Empire is the third book. And then Second Foundation is well, the fourth we're book. We're talking OG Foundation here. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the original um, trilogy. And so, okay, so Harry Seldon is, he's an old man and he basically says, like, this is going to happen. And lo and behold, it does. The There's, um, in the television show, they make it really cataclysmic. There's like a 9-11 style attack oh. on Terminus. No, sorry, on Trantor, the main planet, where like someone blows up their um, like sky bridge. I don't know. It's like like the the space elevator. Okay. Um, in the book, it's more like they just kind of got problems with their supply chain and. <laughs> well, they just kind of like imploded. They, they became yeah. infighting, they and they're willing to, they they were trying to like codify their power rather than being bold well, and expand. And Selden says that they you won't know that this was the beginning of, beginning of the decline. Yes, but this this but is the moment. This is the happening. beginning of the decline. Yeah. You won't know it, and it's true because as the book goes on, 
the middle book of the trilogy called Foundation and Empire is about basically the last battle of the empire that falls apart. So the empire lasts for another 500 years, right? Or whatever it is. So he's talking about, you know, the decline, fall of the Roman Empire. It's not like, like, it doesn't, yeah, Yeah. it doesn't happen in a day, but the television. (laughs) Rome didn't fall in a day. That's right. But the Apple TV television show made it happen in a day. In fact, it was like Harry Selden's on trail. He's like, the empire will fall. And everyone's like, no, it won't. And then the sky explodes. Somebody runs in yeah. and they're like, the empire just fell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. That's where I turned it off. I was like, this is stupid. This is, this is did you not watch the rest no, of the I series? Did, watch did, the you, rest of the did you watch this? Did you watch Foundation? Nah. Okay. Did you? No, of course oh, okay. not. Um, no, I've been watching the new uh, Boba Fett show. Yeah, you were oh. talking about that. Yeah. Is that about good? Galactic Empires? It is, actually. It yeah, it kind of is. is yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, anyway. So, you're talking uh, about Boba Fett, right? Mm. Oh, sorry. And then book one is done, and that's it. It's Harry Seldon saying, like, all right, boys, we're going to Terminus to start the foundation. And he said, this thing is going to become the new empire in, like, a thousand years. And really? So that the, was the end of book one? Yeah. No, no the end of, like, the, um, the, first the, first, the first story. The first story in book one. Oh. oh, Siri's been listening to us the entire time. Time. Uh, wow. These things happen. Yeah. Um, I think counts as one of our downloads. Boys were going to Terminus to start the foundation. Yep. He's, this is literally what Siri was recording. Um, okay. So, yeah, sorry, not book one, not the whole book, but like the vignette one. The f- yeah. And that ends. It's a series of short stories. It's a series yeah. of short so stories. Foundation is like a collection of the first short stories. Yeah. And they were all published as like serials. Yeah. So they do have the annoying habit of like halfway through book two there's like a whole chapter where it's like recounting what happened in book one it's like yeah. i've never heard of psycho history it's like well let me tell you about it sure. and then you go this sort of anyway um and it does feel like it jumps around a lot since it's jumping forward and it's jumping time. forward and so they don't get you know don't get um attached, attached to characters because yeah. they're you know only around for a little bit um all right so that's the end of the first vignette the foundation starts and everybody who's going there kind of knows that they've got this secret mission and everybody else in the galaxy doesn't really know about them and thinks that they're like woo-woo. That this is, you know, they're saying they're weirdos. And no one cares because they're in this planet with no natural resources. It's quite, uh, you know, it's it's sort of said to be this sort of crappy planet. With, they've got like dirt. Yeah. Yes. They don't even have any metal, which is going to be a big problem. It's just soil. Yep. And they can't even grow stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then, um, and then the next little section of the story happens, I don't know, like, 80 years in the future or something. And uh, the foundation has been trucking away and it's basically run by a bunch of academic bureaucrats. And they are every day waking up and doing their little encyclopedia thing and they're like, we got to publish this. It's going to save the universe. Um, And then there is a mayor of the little town that's built up around the foundation. So think think of this little town as like, a, literally a university town. Yeah. And the university is the sole thing there. Then there's this little town that exists solely just to prop up the, the foundation, the university. And all of these, I think they're called psychologists. Well, they're not, there aren't any psychologists. No, there aren't any psychologists. That's, that's the key point. They're all physicists. Right. That's right. Okay. And they're encyclopedias. These encyclopedias, yeah. these, they're like these, you know, historians and their job is basically to preserve science. And, you know, this book was written in the 1950s, so, of course, everything is the magic of nuclear science. Yes. Oh, gosh, I'm going to have to say that word a lot. You are. Now I'm, now I'm self-conscious. How do you say it? <laughs> However you say it is the right way <laughs> no, to say it. No, it's not. Yep. Just, I'm just going to leave I it. I nothing to say. Nuclear. Yep, that's Nuc- it. Say nuclear. Nuc- nuclear. You're doing nuclear. A- <laughs> nuclear. I have nothing to say. Nuclear. Contribute. Okay. You're doing a great job. <sighs> I hate this word. All right. Audi- audience, what you don't know is that at like one in the morning on one thesis deliberation oh night word. at our school, Mr. Donaldson over here said, 
something, something nuclear power. Mm. And we're like, wait, say that again. (laughs) Nuclear. And we're like, nuclear. He's like, yeah, that's what I said. Nuclear, like (laughs) nuclear. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't hear the difference. I, you know, I still don't hear the difference. And it took us, I wrote it on the board and even did the say new. 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 Say clear. Clear. And then I say, say it together and you go, nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> so it took a, this was like a 45 minute conversation. Oh but he seems to have mastered it. So, nuclear. Yeah. Um, Just keep trying. Anyway, so <laughs> they're preserving all of this knowledge, right? Be- because Harry Seldon says, well, what's going to happen is the Galactic Empire is going to forget this and. The empire is going to fragment, and everybody on the fringes are going to go sort of barbaric, um, sort of warlord-type civilizations, and they're not going to be nuclear powers. They're going to be sort of steam powers, which is kind of funny. Um, (laughs) And then the, the, the empire will kind of like truck along, but they no longer have any like mojo to their society. They're just going to slowly unravel. And they they start to lose tech. Yeah, they forget yeah. They how to make tech, stuff. They forget how to make things. Um, they, and they sort of you know, uh, and it's he's very much thinking of like the Roman Empire when the West falls, and then you still have the Eastern Byzantine Empire, which becomes kind of this bloated thing. And anyway, um, okay. Meanwhile, the Foundation is trucking along, and they are keeping their encyclopedia, and all of the historians are like pretty high on the hog about their importance to history. And then there's this mayor. And his name is, what's his name? Salver Hardin. Yeah, Salver Hardin. And he is kind of incongruous of, of, about the, the encyclopedias, and he thinks this is kind of dumb. And he says, um, listen, boys, if we're not careful, like, we're going to get invaded because we have all this technology. And uh, the encyclopedias are like, no, that's, we don't need to worry about that. Because uh, uh, they know we, stuff. We have the Selden plan. We know that one day we are going to be the, um, you know, the the game in town and we're going to be the empire. All we got to do, all we got to do is make this encyclopedia. And once we do, then we'll be able to, you know, like we just got to trust the plan, trust the math. And, um, and Selver Hardin's like, I don't really know about this. And he's worried about like his planet and getting taken over. And there's this warlord on another planet who's kind of saber rattling. I'm not going to give you the whole plot because that's not really what I, I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but, um, it turns out that every every time every time the foundation is getting to this pivot point in history that has been predicted by psychohistory, um, the ghost of Harry Seldon, no, the hologram of Harry Seldon is going to appear yes. in a big like room on on a holodeck or whatever, and he's going to say like, "Listen, you guys are going through a crisis, and here's the crisis that's coming." Or sometimes it happens after the crisis, like, good job on, on avoiding that crisis. And so every time there is a crisis, Harry Seldon kind of shows up and talks about what the crisis is going to be, and it's kind of cryptic and kind of not. And then the first one happens, and Harry Seldon shows up and basically says, um, uh, you know, you guys are now established on this planet, on the fringes of the galaxy, and according to the math... The, uh, the Empire's outer rim has kind of cr- uh, crumbled, and it's now basically these, like, barbarous warlords who have low-grade tech, and they're planning on taking over your planet. Um, and so, meanwhile, the mayor, uh, um, Hardin, is like, I told you, nerds, like, this, this is a problem. Right. And then uh, Harry Selden says, oh, um, um, it, the encyclopedia doesn't really mean anything. You guys don't have to do that. Like, 
I just had you do that because we kind of needed you to get off the ground. Yeah, I had to keep keep you busy. He had to keep you busy, but and was, we just Selden who says Selden that. says this. Yeah. So Selden's recording this like eighty years in the past, and they're listening to it eighty in in the present, eighty years in the so future. So Selden is long dead at this point. Yeah, Selden is long dead, and he's like, he's like, I this had to happen. We had to sort of like um, have you guys uh, preserve all of this, and but really, what's important is your planet is going to become like the center. Terminus is going to be like the center of the next the next galactic empire. And um, your first order of business is that you're going to basically um, like defeat these warlords. And I, I don't want to get into all of the various different stories, um, but it turns out they just have like a technological advantage and they can like turn off the, the invading warships. And so the guy's coming and he's like, I'm going to take over your planet. And then... The guy's like, okay, and he turns off his ship. Engine's off. Yeah, <laughs> and then he's like, oh, crap. And so there's this, anyway, Terminus ends up becoming a political power, whereas all these encyclopedias are like, we are not entering into the politics of the age. We are scientists and men of knowledge, and knowledge is going to save us. Turns out, no. Uh, turns out superior technology and, and political power, power. <laughs> and political power is going to save us. Wait, is that prior prior to the oligarchs, the traitors? Yes, prior yes, to the traitors. Years. Yeah, okay. Um, and then... Uh, uh, then that mayor, uh, who's, what was the name again? Salvor Salvor Harden. He then sort of consolidates power and he turns Terminus into a real player in the region. That they're not the Galactic Empire. Think of like, you know, he's Charlemagne to France, mm-hmm. right? Like it's that kind of idea that he's now sort of unified this sort of backwater thing into, into something that is one day going to be, you know, Louis the Fourteenth or whatever. Um, so he's unified Terminus and a couple of these rogue planets that try to invade him, and then he takes them over, and because of his superior technology, has this balance of power. Okay. Other stories happen where, um, you know, fast forward, I think it's like 20 years, and, and Hardin's an old man, and people have begun, all of these sort of backwater um, barbarian planets have started to worship um, the, the keepers of this technology as if they are these sort of like mystical scientists. They're called the magicians because they can do stuff with nuclear power mm-hmm. that other people can't. And sort of this like primitive faith has built up around this. And Salvor Hardin has decided he's going to kind of like crystallize that faith into a fake church that all the morons can believe, but it really consolidates the power of the foundation. And isn't it convenient that all these people think it's, it's like, God and religion, but really it's just like better technology. And I'm, I'm going to use this. If they believe it and it keeps them in line, then I'm going to use it as like a power base. And so, you know, he wins a battle because he's got a prophet who's, you know, um, curses all the warships and then he's secretly like turning them off and this kind of stuff. Anyway, um, and then, you know, fast forward another four. So then that book's done. Fast forward another 400 years and it turns out the foundation has turned into almost like a... Venice, where they are this merchant power. And what do they have? Well, they've got this technology that other backwater planets don't have. And it turns out these backwater planets like regard the technology as impious or like wicked. And so they ban it. And but it's really useful. And meanwhile, the foundation has grown to become this like merchant empire and they're really rich. And then there's a whole bunch of like 
you know, sort of fun swashbuckling stories about a traitor who goes and and kind of expands the the reach of the empire or the reach of the of this first foundation, right? So we get and every now and then, Harry Seldon shows up at this crisis point, and um, uh, I can't remember. AJ, do you remember? Do they actually have the dates listed of when Harry Seldon's going to appear, or do they just have like a dude who's waiting in the hologram room until like the lights dim? I think they generally <laughs> have. An idea, mm-hmm. like it's like every he shows up like every sixty years or yeah, something, something like, like that. Because the first one's definitely scheduled. Yes, the first one's scheduled, mm-hmm. and he shows up and he basically can predict, or he's saying like, "Here's the crisis you're in, and here's kind of the way out of it." And the way out of the the, the you know the third crisis or whatever is the traders figure out how to reach this like free trade agreement. And they break through the bureaucracy of these backwater planets that don't want to trade with them. And it turns out that they do like their gold and their technology works. And they like, you know, um, this is why I joked in earlier uh, classical stuff episodes that like the the climax of one of the stories is like free trade, <laughs> which is maybe probably why you've said, oh, my goodness, this is not compelling. I didn't even make it that far. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, apologies. Well, the. the- it's it's kind of hard to get into this book. It does work better probably as a serial, partially because yeah. there are no continuous characters. Like mm-hmm. Selden sticks around, but everybody else is that, yeah. it's there for like a chapter, and then two, they're immortalized Selden, by yeah. the next one. But by book two, Selden doesn't mean anything because he then he, his psycho history doesn't work anymore. So tell us more about we'll get, that. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, okay. Um, but book one, the foundation ends, and it's. Uh, by the end of it, you're like, oh, this is a little bit formulaic. Wait, book one ends or the foundation ends? The book one ends. Book like the book one called the, book the found one called the foundation, the foundation is still there. Is, okay. Yes, the foundation is still there. Oh, yes. But book <laughs> one is ending. Thank you. Um, and it's ending. But it, as a reader, you sort of realize it's kind of formulaic. It's like this empire, this little fledgling empire is growing, and they're getting rich, and they clearly have a galactic advantage with their technology. Um, but then there's like big scary guys that want to take him over and then Harry Selden shows up and he's like you will defeat them with math <laughs> you will defeat them with a trade agreement um, and then they do right. and then everyone and then everyone's hailed a hero and then there's another golden age of the foundation as it kind of like absorbs these backwater barbarous planets and by the end of the first novel you're like all right I can kind of see where this is going okay we're not going to get we're not going to do book three we're just going to get to book two um, book two, the first half of book two is there is a war between someone who is considered the last great general of the empire and the foundation. So the foundation has an army of itself. The foundation own. has an army of itself. The foundation has this great navy and the foundation is now big enough that the empire who kind of like gave up their backward planets as lost when they kind of lost their ability to control them and to and to sort of maintain their empire. The empire is crumbling. They don't realize it. Um, it's like how the U.S. feels about Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of um, yeah. I mean, They're like, up there, and, you know, we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, there's, you know, there, there's probably at some point... Where they got, like, a lot of ice? Where the Roman Empire stopped caring about, I don't know, Spain or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, well, definitely Britain. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. And they sort of left it... Okay. Um, and the, the empire has done this, but they hear that, wait a minute, the foundation... We keep hearing about these guys, and we hear that they're magicians, and we hear that they got some amazing technology, or they don't realize it's technology, this, like, amazing stuff. And there's this general who kind of, um, it's all very Roman Empire, who, like, maybe himself wants to be emperor one day, and the emperor is kind of a doofus, 
And so this general says, I'm going to go and have this big war and I'm going to take over the foundation. And then by taking over the foundation, I'm going to come back and become emperor and reunite all the colonies and become like, you know, the guy. And he takes along the emperor's like right-hand man and there's all this sort of political intrigue and there's this sort of... Well, the emperor's suspicious because, you know, who, who wants to let this general have his spot? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So he kind of wants the kid to fail even though he kind of wants him to win first. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the general, he's kind of bloodthirsty and he's not a very nice guy. And there's, again, sort of these like fun space adventure swashbuckling stories of intrigue and politics and spying. And space. And space. <laughs> and um, the uh, general... Um, ends up being defeated by like political intrigue. The emperor finds out and calls him back, and and the the little the emperor's right hand man is a traitor. And, and he, anyway, so it kind of like all fizzles out, and the war never happens, and the foundation is saved again, mm-hmm. and the foundation basically went toe to toe with the empire and held their own, and it's obvious that they're the ascending power, and the empire is the the failing power. Cool. All right. Book two begins with like again, Harry Seldon like predicting the future. Okay. Um, then the ha- the, the second half of book two, um, says that there's this new warlord on the scene and he's known as the mule and he's called the mule. No one really knows why, but they suspect it cause he's this big giant dude. Um, and he's kind of cruel. Um, and, um, and he sort of seems to be taking over planets super easily and no one really knows why. All they know is that as soon as somebody like talks to the mule, they're on his side, like, they bought in to his cause and sometimes they don't even know why they bought in. They're just like, I like the cut of that guy's jib. Um, and they, he sort of, you know, there's all these rumors. Like taking really big military planets with no effort. That's right. And way fast, like one night later. And then apparently he's just some huge monstrous Hulk of yeah. a being and rumors he's a mutant. And rumors he's a mutant. And no okay. one really knows what kind of mutant he is, but he's like, maybe he never dies or, and or just there are muscle these, mutant, like, yes. you know, like, Thor? Yeah, or like Bane, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bane. Um, and, um, and uh, uh, like battles are happening where generals are like retreating when they're in a position of power and then getting routed and just really weird stuff. Okay, so the foundation sends like a little ingenue of spies into this, this like planet where they think that the mule may be heading and um, this husband and wife team go there and they're sort of on this planet trying to collect information and they're on a beach one day and then this like weird little dude shows up and um and he says that he's the court jester from the mules um court and can he protect them and they're like yeah we can protect you and he's kind of this doofus and he kind of talks like yoda and um um and he's a a musician but he sort of is almost like He's like Golem almost, right? Like he's kind of this broken man um, who's – and the wife, whose name I can't remember. um, Is it Torin or Beta? Beta, the wife. Beta, she sort of takes a liking to um, this this little musician guy uh, whose name is – Is he Ebling Miss? No, No. what's his name? It's like – Ebling Miss is the scientist. Magnifico. Magnifico. That's him. Magnifico. So she takes a liking to Magnifico. He's a bit of an acrobat. He's got a big long nose. He's got a big long nose. He's kind of ugly. I imagine he looks a lot like those – you know those Parisian masks? The Venusian Mm. masks. Yeah, yeah, With the big old nose. That's right. I imagine he just looks like that And he wears motley kind of thing just to add to that. 
And uh, Beta sort of develops a liking of him and a a sort of a fondness for him and kind of protects him. Okay. Um, Then it turns out, you know, that the foundation itself is kind of in crisis and the foundation has kind of gotten fat. And the foundation itself has kind of gotten weak and they sort of trust and they overly trust the Selden plan. They're like, everything's going to work out for us. We're the foundation. Harry Selden, like, tells us what to do, the, and the math helps us. Stonks always go up. Stonks go How up. How could it go wrong? How could it go wrong? <laughs> and whoever this mule guy is, like... He doesn't have a prayer. He doesn't have a prayer, because we're the foundation, and we're, we are destined to win. Okay, cool. Selden, our math god king, yep. has told us that we will win. Um, okay, then there is another uh, very public viewing of, Her- of Harry Selden uh, appearing and talking about the crisis, and it is... Wrong. Oh. Way off base. Wow. He's Com- like, now that you've just been through a civil war, and they're like, are you kidding? We're fighting yeah. the mule. Yes. And they're like, oh, yes, no. Exactly. Oh, now you, this is total chaos. Now that you've been through a civil war, uh, you know, you will arise from the ashes. And no, they're not. They're in a war with this, like, mutant named the mule. Right. And so everyone's like, oh, crap. <laughs> He's seldom the math is wrong. Is wrong. Yes. Yeah. Huh. And so they get, they, everyone kind of freaks out. And actually, there's almost like, an immediate dissolving of the power structures. Yeah. Like people just lose faith in the foundation. And then, uh, then, then it goes to war with the mule. Um, and uh, uh, the empire, like the, the old empire has been, ta- has parts of it have been taken over by the mule. And I think the mule has taken over all the empire and the foundation's the only thing left. And there's this like one planet that's holding themselves out and they just realize that everybody on the planet are like, they're just losing the will to fight. And Beta has this like, you know, sort of World War II bunker conversation with this girl. And she's like, hey, like, you know, we're on the right side. We're doing the right thing. She's like, I just, I don't know what, I just don't know what to live for. I don't know why we're doing this. I feel so despondent. And Beta goes to her husband. She's like, do you feel like everyone's super bummed? And he's like, yeah, I don't know why. All right. Then they're like, hey, Harry Selden told us that on the other side of the galaxy was the second foundation, and they can save us. And so they go to this, like, wacky scientist who's been obsessed with the second foundation, and they go off. So and this th- scientist is maybe my favorite character. Ebony yeah. Miss, isn't that Yeah, him? yeah. And he's, he's the kind of scientist that won't take no guff from nobody, and he's like, I don't care that you're a politician. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to say my harebrained schemes, and yep. you don't tell me to leave, and don't tell me to get a chair, and he'll like... <laughs> yep, he's one of those guys. Yeah, they'll be like... He's like Doc Brown from uh, from Back to the Future. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, would you please, uh, you know, set an appointment? He's like, we don't need an appointment! This is the end of the world we're talking about! <laughs> yeah, he's that kind of, that guy. kind of guy. He's great. So the, the husband and wife and the crazy scientist and Magnifico then decide that they're going to go to the old... Uh, library on the Empire home planet, which is now completely deserted, oh, okay. and is like a farming community, oh. and is, uh, but the library is still there. But it's just like a bunch of peasants, like, working the land, and they're like, this used to be an important place. <laughs> um, okay. Um, they go to the library. How do you guys feel about venison? <laughs> yeah. They go to the library, and Magnifico and the scientist dude spend all this time in the archives, while the husband and wife are just kind of like, you know, sitting around waiting to see if the scientist guy finds the second foundation. And as this goes on, like, they're just getting these reports that everything's failing. Like, just the foundation is getting absolutely trashed by the mule, and no one really knows why. And he keeps winning these battles with, like, super inferior forces, and people just seem to be losing the will to fight. All right. Then, as this goes on, Magnifico becomes sort of closer and closer with this scientist, and then one day... 
the scientist, he's just like all, he's really pushing himself to learn where the second foundation is to the point of like mental exhaustion. And Magnifico is there Looks really- like Graham on a Friday. That's right. <laughs> and Magnifico is there really like, you know, in, egging him on, being like, hey, let's keep going. We got to find this thing. And then, and then all of a sudden, the scientist one day is like, I found it. I know where the second foundation is. And Beta takes out a gun and shoots him in the head. What? And kills the scientist. What? And Magnifico goes, are you crazy? Why'd you do that? And she's like, you're the mule, aren't you? And it turns out that Magnifico is yes. Magnifico is the mule. Um, and he... This spindly, dancey this little, musician yes, that little does wacky like... wacky dude. He likes to do physical tricks, like yep. he, he does cartwheels and things. And he's a mule, and it turns out that he's a mutant not in physique, but in mind. Oh. And he has the ability to, like, rearrange the mind of every person to basically bend to his will. It's, yeah, he takes, he, he alters your emotions. He alters right? your emotions. And then not only can he alter them while he's present, but he can stick them there like yep. a pin. Uh-huh. Yep. So if I talk with you, I can make you all of a sudden love me uh-huh. and love every idea I've ever had. And just leave and that you there. feel great about this whole thing, and then I put a pin in it. And then I send you on your way, and you are all of a sudden loyal to me forever. So in your mind, you may say, I really don't like this new empire of the mule, but I, I kind of do. And, right. and so every, so yeah, he's But been, I'm feeling real I'm up feeling about real it. great about it. Like, so he's, so he, he's literally just changed everyone's mind. He's literally changed everybody's mind, and yeah. he is over, taking over the galaxy because he is this big mind. And some of even know it. Like, yes. Really? One People of his close it. guys, yep. he's like... I know this is true. He's like, I would never betray you, Mule. And he's like, yeah, you would, though, because I've sort of changed your emotions. Right. And, you, and if I, I know if you I don't took, feel it. Yeah. But if I took that away, you'd turn you'd on me. He's like, me. I would never turn on you. He's, <laughs> he's like, like yes, no, you would. probably would. And he's like, I he, hear you. <laughs> but I don't think so. But he never changed Bata's mind because Bata was the only person that believed in him. Right. And so he because never. Because he was kind of like an uggo nerd when he was yeah. young. Right. And so he never changed her mind because she loved him for who he was. Been there. But. <laughs> She should have changed his mind because she figured it out and she realized that Magnifico wanted to know where the second foundation was because that was the last thing to take over. Right. And if he figured out where second foundation was, That's he would take over, over everything. Yeah. So she shoots the scientist, sealing the second foundation's secret for history. Because the and, second foundation might have something. It had psychohistorians, didn't it? Yes. So whereas the first foundation was all about the technology, right. the second foundation was all about like trying to basically expand the capacities of the human mind as far as possible, maybe even like mind reading or doing the types of things that the mule can do. So they're going, you know, if the first foundation is going real wide on technology, the second foundation is going real deep on like human potential. Sure. Yeah. Full hog. Full hog. Full hog this on the end of the psychoanalysis. This is the end of the second book. And the mule's like, gosh darn it. And then he's like, you're right. I am the mule, and I've taken over the galaxy, and now I'm going to spend the rest of my life looking for the second foundation, you jerk. Um, and he, turn, he says, turns out the reason I'm called the mule is because I can't have children. Mm. So this presents a new problem, that when he dies, like the guy that's controlling everybody's mind dies, and who right. knows what happens. So we don't know if their minds change back? I think they, yeah, they do. Okay. They, they, they change back. Or, or at least they die and their kids' minds can right. do whatever they want, right? Right. They're not stuck in... in, in yeah. Anyway, and so then it's like, oh, crap, we've got – oh, and he's like – he also realizes that as a mutant, he doesn't – like, he kind of is going to die early. Like, he's uh, all kind of messed up. Okay. Um, and he can't have any kids, and so there's no, like, you know, uh, uh, primogenitor succession laws or anything, right? It's just like when he dies, chaos is going to happen because he right. kind of turned it all into this one dictatorship and crap. 
Now what's going to happen? And then he's obsessed with finding the second foundation. Okay, the third book, which we're not going to talk about, is the story of the second foundation's defense against the mule. Okay. And what they do to try to defend themselves. And then this, and then, yeah, okay. And then the foundation becoming the Galactic Empire at the end. Um, and so, the, uh, uh, what, uh, when I was reading this, I... Um, you have 20 more minutes. Okay. When I was reading this, I had a hard time not reading it, thinking about, like, post-war America, 1950s optimism, right? Because it really is setting itself up, or it feels like it's setting itself up in that, in that vein. He's writing The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire in Space, and then he's sort of talking about, you know... Um, the seeds of the Roman Empire getting started in the monasteries and then from the monasteries becoming the Enlightenment and then this new European, um, you know, civilization born out of the Roman Empire. But then there's also a huge feel where, you know, um, maybe this was me, Adam and Hanenberg, if you had this feeling, or maybe in your first reading of it, that the heroes of the foundation felt really American yeah, and the villains did. of the Galactic Empire felt really like British and European. Yes, um, uh, or maybe even maybe even German or the, or old world, new world. Yeah, yeah. That the old world, new world. I have felt that, that the heroes of the Foundation were kind of like these cowboys in space, being like, "Yeah, we used, you know, uh, America." Um, and then the bad guys were really like, "Yo, for the Empire, <laughs> right?" Like, um, so I had a hard time divorcing reading that kind of. Um, history into it. And of course, you know, the joke that one of the climax of the books was like a free trade agreement right. uh, as like the solver of lots of problems, you know, as that was sort of, you know, a very post-war thing uh, in America. But so maybe question for you as the mathematician, is there something to that idea that with enough data, you can make predictive, um, uh, you know, claims about humanity in general. Sure. I mean, that's the entire field of sociology. That's a point from, what's that book? Uh, the guy who's going to get killed and gets comforted by Lady Philosophy. Oh, yeah, the Boethius. 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 That's what Lady Philosophy says that. that it, um, I, don't, I don't know her exact quote. It wasn't, anyway. But th she says that if you had all the information in the world, you could predict all things that are happening. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Man's problem is that we are limited and we are incapable mm -hmm. of doing that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, what's the, well, did you guys I, ever see that hmm, on this, on this topic, you ever see that Netflix show that's about the invention of quantum computing? Nope. No, I forget what it's about, but the point is this guy, he's some, you know, ultra billionaire that runs a tech firm and he builds one of the first quantum computers. And the whole point is it's that fictional, can, right? Cause there's no quantum computer yet. Well, we have some, there's not very good yet. Yeah. Um, but he basically gets it to the point where it is so powerful. It can predict the flows of nature and not only what like will happen, but what did happen. Yeah. So he can look back and see Jesus because mm -hmm. it can, it does has enough computing power to look at all of the information they're feeding it and recreate what happened. And so the whole, he wants to like see his kid again or something mm -hmm. crazy or mm -hmm. like see his family or where they are now, where they would have been if it would have been different or there's some sort of like time travel thing to it. But, sure. but that it's on that premise, right? Have all the information you can predict the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if this is what the, that, what, I think that's the science fiction version of, you'll see this, if people model what Alexander the Great must have looked like, or pick your favorite Egyptian, or pick mm -hmm. your favorite person. So, um, now obviously they're all guesses, and probably none of them are right, but um, yeah, it just seems like 
patently obvious that if you have a large enough group, group of people, you're capable of predicting what that group of people does. You are less and less accurate as you go into the future, yeah. which I think is that's the, the leap that psychohistory is hard to kind of go well, with. But the conceit of the book, I think, kind of shows this tension of the, um, I don't know if you call it the, like, the data purists and the classical historians, right? Like, um, with enough data, we can predict the future. And and Harry Seldon has, like, sat in his office and he's been able to predict it and he's recorded all these little videos as to what happens. But then it's, and he was accurate for, like, 300 years. And then, it's, and then something happens that the data couldn't take into consideration or it was that 1% risk that, you know, we were 99% sure that there was going to be a civil war, but it turns out we have this genetic mutation called the mule that just showed up around the time that this new crisis was happening and he completely blows up the plan. So there's like, you know, Harry Seldon could keep putting out his videos, but they don't make it, they don't mean anything anymore because this one guy showed up and, and this great man of history showed up and kind of changed everything. And so that to me is kind of like the tension that we have even talked about in this podcast of hist- of like talking about reading history. Do we talk about great men or do we talk about like um, um, all of the numbers, all of the like the, the, what the, the, the general person was doing um, and um, – and by great men, we're including women as well. Yes, yes I mean, like, the, like okay. the people that we sort of ascribe the narrative to being the people that change history. Um, so the big events, the big men, the big women, the Eleanor of Aquitaines, the Richard III's, uh, these kinds of things, as opposed to, you know, um, um, the, you know the, the long, slow progression of the invention and the ascent of, like, money or pick your technology or, or, or the printing press or these kinds of things. Um, because the, the people, psycho, oh, sorry, go ahead. Was, uh, so we had a uh, listener email us. So psychohistory, there is a field of psychohistory. <laughs> it's not the same as what mm-hmm. Asimov is portraying Cre- here. Yeah. But I also think of, there's a political scientist named Bruce Bueno de Mesquita. And this is, now I haven't read him in a long time. His book, uh, the, Brit- the Predictioner's Game is one mm-hmm. that I liked a lot. But he, he makes some pretty bold claims about his ability to forecast individual decisions. Now, he doesn't publish his models, so I can't, like, verify any of that. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is a – like, of course we would want to try and predict – you're trying to kind of separate out social forces versus individuals. Well, also this method can be used for individuals to try and say um, if this – situation were repeated a, a thousand times in 60% of them, this is the thing that would happen. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we predict X. I mean, the thing that's unrealistic about Selden is his his precise... His, um, his certainty. Yeah, yeah that, that this with 100% certainty is happening 10,000 years in the future. That's what makes Well, no but sense. it's more general than that. It's not like he said, you know, this guy came and did this. But he basically says, like, somebody in here probably realized that you could... Um, turn this into a religion that they would believe and you could control them that way. So good job. Um, And, and that's what had happened now. um, But I get, yeah, the, um, uh, I I personally think about that. I like that tension of how much do we try to think about how much predictive numbers, how much stock should we put in predictive numbers about our lives and how much should we, you know, um, um, put our our hope in those like serendipitous black swan events, or so, if you want to frame it that way. If you had that algorithm, that model, yeah, and you could with 
we'll say 80% certainty predict people's behavior. So you invent it one night. Mm-hmm. What's the thing you do the next day? What do you use it for? Stock market. <laughs> I was thinking predicting boxing, like betting. Make money. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Stock market, I feel like it would be the the big swaths of what people are going to do. Like mm-hmm. if I could know that, oh, there's going to be a disaster next year of some sort, you know, you short the market then and then. But the problem with these, again, this is where I'm just trying to, that uh, you can't, you can't predict the stock market. Uh, I'm, people will disagree with that statement. But oh, contrary, Magby. Great. But the thing you can't. Moon phases, Magby. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's for crypto. Thank you. <laughs> say Bitcoin, say Bitcoin, say Bitcoin. No, I'm not okay. doing it. So the, um, um, but you can make certain statements about, when a, when um, this certain stock goes down 60% of the time, it goes down a second time. So like mm-hmm. those kind of trends are the ones that you can profit off of because you're essentially flipping a coin 100 times. Mm-hmm. But the one that says with 100% certainty, the S&P is going down 10 points tomorrow, that's the one that doesn't make any... Oh, I pay 20 bucks a month for that kind of content. Well, I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, uh, all I'm trying to... The things that can be predicted are going to be either across multiple iterations of something... Um, or across a large number of events happening. So a thousand stocks, you could predict that some number of them will be positive, right? But you can't say Apple's going to go up 10% tomorrow. Yeah, we've kind of grown, our, like we're guys in our 30s. We've kind of, I, I think of Moneyball. Well, you're almost in your 40s. I almost, oh, okay, sorry. Okay. I think of Moneyball and I think of the popularity of what of what Moneyball did. So Moneyball, for listeners, it's, it's um, where using sort of different kinds of performance analytics on athletes. Um, the Oakland Athletics were able to compete against the New York Yankees with, like, multiple levels of financial difference. Like a like, third of the budget. Yes. Yeah. I think the third baseman <clears throat> of the Yankees was when they, when they met in the 2000 and, 2001 World Series, 2002 World Series, when they met the third baseman of the New York Yankees was making more than the entire roster of the Oakland Athletics, all 22 players or whatever, right? That kind of thing. So, and they just used different kinds of analytics and this sort of spawned a whole movement and a whole sort of um, area of people in sports betting, but also in like, the thinking of franchises and the thinking of using data and analytics to build out businesses or to model things. And but the moneyball approach has not had much success outside of baseball. And your problem is in all sports is that you have so many different numbers yeah. you can take into account. Your problem then is which ones matter. And that's actually, it's a scene in the movie. It's mm-hmm. like, they're all arguing. I forget what the stat is. They're all arguing about some stat. And then whoever the main character is is like none Billy of that Bean. stuff matters. Yeah. Uh, if it's if they get on base. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's the um, yes, you can collect lots of data, and yes, you can try and predict, but you still have this like human intuition problem of what part of it matters. But the point I was going to make with that is that not that the data is changing behavior, but people are beginning that there is a certain way of running organizations that I'll give an example from basketball. So basketball, the game of basketball has, um, has sort of undergone what a lot of people are calling refinement culture. Uh, refinement culture meaning like if you look at in the 90s where the majority of, of points came from on a basketball court, it was all over the place. Mm-hmm. It was like evenly distributed amongst the court. Whereas I think in the like 2015 or 2016 season, you look at where the majority of points came from in the NBA and it was all right under the basket, so layups or dunks, and three points around the rim. Right. Because, you know, the game of basketball is rewards you for 
three points, if you can shoot from there. So everybody has been working towards becoming better three point shooters and the low percentage or the high percentage two pointers that come. There's no point in dribbling in the paint and taking a, sh- a shot from there. You might as well go all the way to the rim or you might as well pass back to a, a, a good shooter outside the paint who can get three points, right? So isn't that a form of refinement? That's a form of refinement that's yeah. come. And um, my sort of uh, uh, hypothesis is, is it's come with the advancement of thinking or maybe or of the reality that using stats and analytics to make our decisions has trickled down into coaching and has sort of changed the way that the game is played right now. Right. So the mechanism wasn't necessarily <coughs> these people are better at three-point shots. It's that because the game rewards you this way, everyone's being trained to do it. Yeah, and yeah. just the fact that th- that beginning to think about um, the game using that analytical sort of framework is different than thinking about the game where it was like, we just got to get the heart and the passionate on the field, and we got to give it to the hot hand. You had more of these like, which is what was happening in the in the uh, Moneyball, like the folksy wisdom of the of the scouts. Right. He's like, he just has a look of a baseball player, and is he's gonna marry his girlfriend, so that's like a good sign that he's like, you know, stable. And, right. and the analytics guy's like, what are you talking about? He gets on base way less than everybody else, right? right. So it was like the clash of of two different ways of of assessing the game, and um, and you know, and so in the foundation book, you've got the Harry Seldon model. And you've almost got this snobbishness of the foundation that's like, we clearly have the upper hand because we have math on our side. And then you have the backwardness of the rest of the galaxy, which is like clinging to the old ways of, you know. Royalty. Royalty and succession and some sort of like rudimentary spiritual faith and these kinds of things. And, you know, so um, it, it definitely had that sort of shine, that sort of like, I was, I'm not saying that Isaac Asimov is looking down at his nose on history, but it definitely has that kind of like um, America is inevitable or, or mm. modern, the modern age is inevitable and you, there's nothing you can do to stop it because we've got, the, we've got mm. the best minds thinking of this. Okay, that's very much the thinking of 1950s America. And that very, you know, and then you have... Um, the, have you ever read the book, the, I think it's called The Smartest Men in the Room, or The Smartest mm-hmm. Guys in the Room? It's, it's about McNamara. Oh, never mind, no. Um, so it's about that kind of thinking of if we just get the smartest analytical minds together to make our decisions, we're going to make sort of better decisions as, as a government. And, um, uh, uh, and then the Vietnam War was sort of an example of, you know, it didn't work out that way, that... Um, we don't have enough time to get into Robert McNamara uh, and um, and that kind of um, um, hubris. It's it's basically the hubris of of analytics uh, a little bit. Yeah, just so you you referenced this the book title before, and maybe just to, uh, as a counterpoint to what I was saying about things being predictive, the three body problem. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's a book, but the three body problem in physics is that if you take three planets or three orbs or three three things that have a gravitational pull on each other and so they have a random motion that they're capable of making and they each influence each other yeah that's the important part it's impossible to predict where, where those three things will, will end up at t point in time yes so uh, and i want i want to say it's like i don't think you can even predict the next time step so like the the chaos from there being so few um things and they're impacting each other makes it an impossible 
task, and this isn't a computation problem, it's that the range of where they could be is just too wide. So then here's probably, now that I, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get at is that's the reality of the universe. Yes. But the cartoon version that a lot of people believe is that math and science can be Harry Seldon and can solve all of our problems. Or we can predict all of these things um, if we just have enough, enough uh, sort of data points. And if we begin to... If, if we organize society thinking that we could eliminate risk in society because we've got more advanced predictive power, that's bad. That's a dangerous thing. Sure. That there's going to be a mutant one day. And you believe <laughs> that precisely as I have predicted. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's... I did the math prior to podcasting today, boys. Nailed it. It's a, it's a fun book. It's, it, maybe it doesn't think it's fun. I didn't, no. The first book's pretty boring, um, but it, uh, it's kind of it, it's fun. I read it uh, all the way through. When they bring I, the mule I, in, it definitely gets better because there's consistent characters. Sure. Because in, it's there's consistent characters, yeah. and all of a sudden, it's not predictable. It's right. not like Harry Sun's going to show up and be like, "You won the war because <laughs> of your enlightened trade agreement." It's like Pythagorean theorem. Yeah. <laughs> it's now you know this is this, the chaos has sort of re-entered the story, right. and now then it becomes a kind of a better story. Is the third book pretty good too? I don't know. Yeah. I'm asking Third books is good. Third yeah. book is good. It's good. Yep. Okay. So it's uh, yeah. There's some. Yeah. The although I don't want to spoil anything, but the third book is fun. The sort of denouement with the mule is really entertaining. All right. I'm into yeah. it. No, I'm interested. Um. Anyway, that's that's sort of all I got for this. Perfect. Thank you all for listening. This has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can find us online at classicalstuff.net. You can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. Find us on Twitter at classicalstuff. C l s s c a l stuff. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash classical stuff. We post in between episodes. After every episode, we have monthly AMAs and we like actually reply to things on the Patreon. So like if, and email, you know, we'll try and reply to your email, but like we really reply to Patreon people. So go yep. there. Uh, I think that's all that we have for today. So cool. for Graham, AJ Thomas, we are signing off. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Bye.